You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, Episode 3. You were already in bed. I was about to get in bed, and I felt another different contraction. And I turned to you. I said, are you ready? And I replied something like, I don't think we can ever be fully ready for this, but I'm so glad to be having another baby with you. Welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on the show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Today, you'll hear my second kind of crazy birth story in which I changed care providers several times and switched from planning to give birth in an in-hospital birthing center again to giving birth at home. You'll hear quite a bit of talk about the perks of working with a midwife, and we'll hear about a couple of different types of midwives. So this episode will provide some education on that topic. In case you're not familiar with what a midwife is, I'll include some links to information in the show notes. To give just a very brief overview, a midwife is a clinical care provider and is often but not always a nurse who's a great option for a low-risk healthy pregnancy and birth and who tends to trust a woman's innate ability to give birth to her baby and also tends to provide more holistic care. A midwife uses interventions and technology only if truly medically necessary, which is a good thing for healthy moms and babies. Midwives can work in hospitals, birthing centers, or home births. Last, I want to mention that a midwife and a doula are two separate things. A midwife is, as mentioned before, a clinical care provider and is protecting the physical health of the mom and baby. A doula provides non-clinical kinds of prenatal and labor support to the expectant parent and partner if applicable. To be more specific, a doula provides emotional, physical, strategic, and self-advocacy support. Before we get started on the birth story, today's episode is brought to you by the Birth Matters Complete Online Course. If you can't squeeze in an in-person group birth class series, or if you didn't feel like the one you took was comprehensive enough, or if you don't even have a quality class available in your area, I have the perfect solution for you. Birth Matters Complete Course is an online recorded version of my in-person full series. It covers not only prep for an amazing birth with self-advocacy tips, best current evidence, and tips for partners, but also holistic postpartum wellness, breastfeeding, and newborn care. And to top it off, you get lifetime access so that you can use it as a refresher later in this or future pregnancies. How awesome is that? For New York City locals, you have an option to add to the course an in-person, one-evening, hands-on comfort measures workshop, which is a really ideal option for the more tactile parts of the course. Check it out at birthmattersonline.com. All right, buckle up for a pretty wild birth story. You ready? Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's show. Today, I have with me once again, my wonderful husband, Brian Taylor. We're going to share our second birth story. I'm looking forward to talking about this together because we haven't talked about it in a long time. A long time. So this birth story is going to be shorter, faster, more exciting. (laughs) More exciting indeed. A thrilling sequel. Yes. Yeah, so it will be shorter because this labor was like a quarter of the length of time uh, as compared to our first, which is very textbook. And um, before we go into the labor story, and because it will be shorter, we thought it might be helpful perhaps to go into a little bit of our pregnancy journey and the different choices that we made along the way. We actually went through multiple, I hate to say went through, but we were seen by multiple different care providers in the second pregnancy. We started just going back to the OB, Dr. Ree, who we had enjoyed working with our first pregnancy. And then I really decided I would like to explore what the midwifery model of care might be like. I still was interested in giving birth at the same hospital in the birthing center at um, now former birthing center. Sadly, it closed in January of 2019. But back then in the second pregnancy in 2007, it was still open. And I had had a lovely experience that first time. I don't remember at what point in my pregnancy this happened, but 
we eventually hired Ellen Farhi again as our doula. And I feel like pretty early on, she started to encourage us to consider giving birth at home. And at first, I don't know about you, Brian, I don't remember, but I, I was like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Right. And I think that her, her recommendation was probably based on the fact that you were already wanting to work with a midwife. You were already, you, you knew that you had had a positive experience at the birthing center. And you, so you were aiming for that kind of uh, environment again. And she told me that they had made the rules of admission to the birthing center stricter Right. since then. And she was really afraid that I would be banking on using it and that I could very easily or much more easily this time around risk out and then be that much more disappointed given that I had used it before. So that was a big part of her thinking. And it took a lot of soul searching and, and research before we came to the conclusion that home birth actually felt safer and, and like the best choice for us. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Do you remember when you started seriously thinking about using a midwife for the second birth? Was that a seed that was planted in our birth class and that you had just sort of put the idea aside until you had been through your first birth to see how that went? Do you remember what your thought process was there? Yes, I think, I do think maybe the birthing class in our first pregnancy planted the seed. I don't recall entirely, but I I think that's likely. I think that I actually did a little research in our first pregnancy, Mm -hmm. maybe across the course of taking that eight-week birthing class. And I just couldn't find any practice that seemed to be in network and covered by our insurance. insurance. Yeah, and that's, that's right. such an issue and challenge for a lot of people to navigate all of that. So, and it, it was a challenge again in the second pregnancy, but I did end up finding a doctor's practice, Dr. Paka, Renuka Paka's practice, who had at the time had two midwives. Uh, under her practice, who therefore, because it would be billed to insurance under Dr. Paca's name, would have been and was in network. Uh, yeah, just to because th- I was kind of talking over you earlier. I just want to make sure that it was clear insurance, the in network aspect of finding a midwife was key in the decision the second time around with the second birth to go down that route to to look for a midwife because we were able to find one in network. Whereas in our first pregnancy, that was not an option. Is that right? It either wasn't an option or I just wasn't able to find the option because New York just has so many care providers and so many hospitals. And it's just, it's it's hard to wrap your brain around and hard to Mm -hmm. find the time and energy to sift through it all, especially if you're not connected to someone in the birth community like a doula yet who can curate that for you and can give really smart recommendations or a childbirth educator. One thing I wanted to point out is that at least here in New York, a lot of midwives have hired excellent billers who are really, really good at working with insurance companies to make them pay. With this birth, the midwife we ultimately ended up working with had this amazing biller. In fact, Kara said, don't even get on the phone with your insurance. Just let her deal with it. It is her gift in life to compel to, you know, get the insurance companies to pay and cover these things. And we didn't have to pay. I don't think we had to pay a penny. It was amazing. I mean, this was, you know, years ago when insurance was a little better than I think it might be today. But Still, they I've heard stories from my students of them covering a lot of things that they didn't think they were going to. So I think almost the only thing we had to pay for was the rental of the tub that we ended up not using. And our midwife was so lovely, she actually refunded most of that fee because we didn't end up using it at all. So I found that practice. And I, uh, looking back in my journal notes, I am reminded of how, what a stark contrast it felt like, how much less rushed I felt from the very first appointment with the midwife. And so it was lovely care. And a few months into that, we were in Texas for Christmas for the holidays. And we got a, I guess, an email. I think it was an email Hmm. saying that Yael, this midwife we were seeing and we're so happy with, was retiring just very suddenly. 
and we were so disappointed. And then the other midwife was leaving this doctor's practice to go on her own with another midwife's practice up to the Bronx from Manhattan to the Bronx. And so I followed her there. I went to her for a couple of visits and loved her. She was great, but it was not going to be covered by insurance. And so that was going to be tricky. And not only that, but right around that time in January in my, let's see, it was about at 30 weeks, I went to see The Business of Being Born, a documentary by Abby Epstein and Ricky Lake. And it really, it was in a movie theater and I went with a couple of girlfriends at the recommendation of my doula. And that sealed the deal. I walked away from that film totally sold on wanting to give birth at home. And within less than a week, I had interviewed two home birth midwives, had had a prenatal with one of them, had like chosen one, and had also, we also had our first prenatal visit with our doula, Ellen, the day after seeing Business of Being Born. I'm sure she was thrilled to hear, mm-hmm. we're going to do it. We're going to give birth at home. And she gave us another film to watch, right? Yes, she did. I don't remember the name of it, but it had Marsden Wagner, who's great. And that was also a contributing factor. But then I really had done a lot of research Mm -hmm. just to learn the statistics of like, how safe is this really? And I started to learn it it, for low risk, healthy pregnancies. It's very, very safe, especially in a city where you have a hospital on almost every corner. It's so quick to get somewhere in the unlikely event that you do have to transfer. The funny thing was when we secured this home birth midwife, oh, and by the way, the, the home birth midwife we hired just happened to be Kara Mulhan, who is the main midwife you see in the documentary. I, I mentioned seeing the business of being born. So um, she, she practices in Manhattan in Alphabet City. And she was just about to go away on a sabbatical. She takes a like a month-long sabbatical every year, I think. And I was coming into her right before she went away. And that was the only reason she had capacity was because a lot of people probably didn't feel comfortable booking her and having her be away for the last few weeks of their pregnancy. So I kind of lucked out on that. And she had an apprentice midwife and a backup really veteran midwife who were there, you know, in the hopefully unlikely event that I went into labor before she came back. So I was seen by yet another midwife, this apprentice midwife, uh, a couple of times while she was away. And... Hold that thought. Our daughter has slid a note under our bedroom door that says, May I shower now? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because of the noise that she's asking, not because... Right. She doesn't know that uh, whether or not she needs one. Um, <laughs> I think we should wait. Ella, mm-hmm. uh, if you can wait to shower, I think it's just going to be a little too noisy, hon. We're sorry. We'll let you know when we're done, okay? Okay. Love you. We're telling your story. We want to get it recorded nicely. I wanted to clarify that... The reason when I followed Chris McCloskey up to the Bronx, midwife with Dr. Paca's office who left to go to the Bronx, that usually midwives who do hospital births don't attend home births. Usually a midwife is either catching babies at home or they're catching babies in the hospital. Uh, That's something that's not always clear to people. So I just wanted to make that clarification that that's the only reason that I left her practice was because she she said, I would love to attend your birth at home, but I'm not set up yet. I don't have the equipment. You know, I don't own the equipment. I'm I'm just not set up to attend a home birth. So she sent me off with her blessing. She was very excited for me that I had made that choice, but she just wasn't equipped to be able to be my care provider for that birth setting. One thing I want to mention about these midwifery visits is that when you give birth at home, at least in New York, it might depend on where you live, the midwife, for the most part, if not 100% of the time, comes to your home to do prenatal visits. And wow, is that amazing, especially when you're in your third trimester and you're exhausted and you're feeling large and uncomfortable. 
what an amazing gift that is to just not have to go anywhere, not have to get on the subway or in a car or whatever it is. So those were, that was like another whole level of amazing care, you know, so we had first the OB level of care. It's unfortunately a product of our healthcare system where everything is really rushed and you're probably waiting for much longer than you're actually being seen. And then the next level was going to an OB practice who had midwives and that's still part of the healthcare system, but thankfully it was, it did feel less rushed. Mm. And then now we're experiencing version three, where it's a home birth experience and the midwife is coming to our house. And I just wish I was like, why didn't I do this from the beginning? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Here we are, you know, in our thirties weeks and our little baby girl ended up coming a couple weeks earlier than expected. So I just wish we had signed up for it earlier on, but you know, things work out the way they're supposed to. Kara came back from her sabbatical and she did just to play catch up. She had so much catching up to do. She had her clients come to her office in Alphabet City in Manhattan for a group prenatal. And they had a somebody, a guest there who was talking about hypnobirthing and did a kind of an educational seminar, which was really cool. And I think she also just really wants to build community. So she wanted to offer expectant parents a way to connect with other expectant parents, which I think is really, really nice. Even though I wasn't at first very keen on really, I'm having to go at like 30, I don't know, 37 weeks all the way down to Alphabet City from Queens. Okay, I'll do it. Um, But in the end, it ended up being a really lovely visit. And then the next week, she came and did one visit in our home, thinking we were going to get more than one before our baby girl came, not knowing that less than two days after she came for that first prenatal visit with us in our home, that we were going to have our baby. (laughs) And it was great to be able to welcome her into our home to have her spend time with our son, Grayson, who was at this point coming up on almost three years old. Uh, so he he was able to be comfortable with her. She was great with him. Mm-hmm. She was able to get the lay of the land of our house. This is going to be an important moment in our life as a family. And so it was just nice to have this person who is going to be on our team you know, welcomed into our home and kind of, you know, welcomed into this moment in our lives in that very relaxed atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also want to mention whenever you're interviewing care providers, trying to select a care provider, same with doulas. I say the same thing with doulas is really, you know, interview more than one and be sure you're finding the right fit for you. Because I interviewed two different practices for home birth midwives and, They were both practices were lovely and I really like both of them. I've even gotten to know the one that I didn't hire better since then and they're wonderful, but you just have to find the right fit for your personality. And for me, Kara, I can't even remember the quote. She said something in the business of being born that really resonated with me along the lines of trusting the woman's body and then she's there for safety, that she's, you know, just watching over for safety purposes. And and that just really made me feel safe in this choice to give birth at home. I also wanted to just contrast one thing. I had more than one urinary tract infection, UTI, in my pregnancy, and it was asymptomatic. So I never would have known that I had them, except for that when you go for your prenatals, they're having you pee in a cup and they're testing a couple of different things in that to just be sure we're all good. And so I had been diagnosed with a UTI at my OB's office earlier in the pregnancy. And she said, oh, well, at first it actually didn't get communicated to me. There was an administrative error. And then I found out later after the fact that I was already supposed to have been told and was supposed to be getting antibiotics. And I didn't take them because of concerns of antibiotic overusage that has been in the press in recent years. And... I needed a reason. I mean, maybe I should have just been the good patient and, you know, done what I was told. But when I asked, I didn't get a, they wouldn't really tell me a reason. They just were like, oh, you just, you know, it's just for good measure. You should just take it. As contrasted to when I switched to this midwifery practice, the first midwifery practice under Dr. Paca's care, they told me, well, Lisa, it's be- it's really important that you take these antibiotics because you're putting your- yourself and your baby at risk of preterm labor if you don't. And 
wow. I was like, wow, I really wish someone had told me that, had framed it in that way, because if they had ever breathed those words, Mm -hmm. I would have instantly said, well, I'm absolutely taking the antibiotics then. So, you know, that was just a, a contrast. I felt like I just was being heard and my questions were really being thoughtfully considered and answered and they were giving me choices in my care in other ways and other decisions that we made. When we first showed up to Yael's practice, she gave me the option of, she said, do you want me to treat this like a first prenatal visit or do you want to use this as a, an opportunity to answer some questions? And so I said, the latter. Why don't we do that? I don't feel the need. I already had the first prenatal with a different care provider. I, you know, let's let's go through some questions. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. like who gets questions asked in really brief OB visits so much of the time? So that was really refreshing. Let's review briefly, just so we're all clear on who who's your care provider, Lisa and Brian, at this point. Who is your team? So we landed on uh, Kara Mulehan, home birth midwife. She was going to be our clinical care provider. Our labor support was my wonderful husband. And then we had hired Ellen Farhi again as our doula for the second time. And so they were on call for us, and about two weeks before my due date, I I do remember, this isn't in my written birth story that's, that's in these show notes, but I do remember I went shopping, I was running errands the day before I went into labor, and I remember I was getting into the car, I was putting my bags in the car and getting in the car, and I remember having a stronger than usual Braxton Hicks contraction, and or some kind of contraction. And I remember thinking, huh. But then I just went about my day because it, it, they weren't coming regularly, but mm-hmm. it just was felt a little different. A little different, yeah. Yeah. So that was the day before. And then we were going to bed that night and we're kind of night owls, as you might have heard in the first birth story a bit. So at about one twenty or so, late night, we were going to bed. I think you were already in bed. I was about to get in bed. And I felt another different contraction. And I turned to you. I don't know if it was as soon as that happened or if it was it was in that ballpark sometime around then. I said, are you ready? Right? But I don't think I told you. I don't think you did either. No, you just asked me the question. And I replied something like, I don't think we can ever be fully ready for this, but I'm so glad to be having another baby with you oh something along those yeah lines, right? no that's it that's it i love it <laughs> so sweet so i went to bed and then like an hour and a half or so later woke up and had to go to the bathroom and was having some contractions and again woke up i don't know in the five o'clock hour and i and at that point i couldn't go back to sleep and was having regular contractions Fairly regular, but at the same time, irregular. Coming and coming and coming, but not with a regularity of frequency, as was the case with our first labor, Mm. and which misled me into thinking, oh, we have plenty of time. Now, here's the funny thing. Two days before, less than two days before, when Kara came to our house for the first time and had a prenatal, she mentioned oh, your baby girl is in a really perfect position. Oh, and by the way, one thing I didn't mention is that the baby had been, she had been transverse sideways at about 33, 34 weeks, which was really concerning. But thankfully she did go head head down. And so right before we went into labor, she she said, yeah, she's in a beautiful position. I really think she's going to come really quickly when the day comes. And we had planned to have another prenatal visit the next week, maybe with our doula, and we were setting all that up, and that never happened. I remember going into, in the early hours of the morning, I remember going into what was going to be Ella's bedroom, the nursery, because we had a twin bed in there, a guest bed, and I remember lying down in there for a little while because I didn't want to disturb you, but I couldn't sleep and I was afraid I'd be tossing and turning and keeping you awake. So I just thought I should let you sleep because we didn't know how long we were going to be doing this. And also, I'll just throw this in, I was probably sleeping a little more heavily than usual because a day or maybe two days before this, I had just had a bout of food poisoning. It was like the one of two times in my life I've had food poisoning. Not the best timing, but... So I think you were particularly cognizant of that 
knowing that, you know, I was already behind on sleep. You needed me to be as rested as I could be when we went into the main event. Mm -hmm. So um, hopefully that makes me sound like a little less of a jerk. How can you be a jerk when you you were asleep? How would you, like, you didn't know I was in labor. (laughs) You're funny. You know, it's coming up. You're supposed (laughs) to be uh, expecting, you know, supposed to, I don't know, sensitive. I don't know. Then I decided to wake Brian up at about 8.30 and told him we were in labor. And you were so calm. I so appreciate your calming presence. You were that way in the first time, too, and are just that way in general. And it's a really lovely attribute. You just said, okay. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I was still sleepy. <laughs> yeah, you're probably like, okay, <laughs> let me wake up here. <laughs> and an odd thing that surprises me to this day is that my body in that labor, unlike the first, for a lot of it, I could not lean over. Many women, I would almost dare say most women, but let me say many, find it very instinctive to lean over. It takes the pressure off the back and just tends to feel more instinctive than a lot of other positions, whether that's on all fours or leaning over a counter or hanging on a partner. But I, for part of my labor, I just had to stand straight up, which was so bizarre. And yet at a different point in this short labor, I also have a recollection of being almost in child's pose. Pretty much in child's pose, actually. I don't Mm. know how you do that when you have the big baby bump, but I did. And I was having to be completely collapsed. So it was like nothing in between. I had to either be standing straight up or completely hunched over, folded over even. And you were doing that on the ground or on the bed? I was doing that on the ground right by our tan chair and our armoire, just right in front of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if I can't remember if that was before I woke you. I think it might have been. But I, I don't remember. It's all so fuzzy, thanks to all the oxytocin and endorphins mm-hmm. and things that are rushing through your body and making your brain kind of fuzzy. So shortly after I woke you, we decided to call Kara, right? Right. Um, she, almost immediately after. Because she had told us, call me at the first sign of contraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I do that? No, this was like mm-hmm. <laughs> seven hours before the first one. But that very first one at 120 wasn't. I didn't think we were in labor. Mm. I thought, that's odd, but I didn't think we're in labor. So we called Kara. You got on the phone with her so that she could hear, listen to you through some contractions, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And she was on the lower west side of Manhattan, just about as far from us in terms of getting to us in Manhattan as you could be. She was at a birth. She was having to go to the pediatrician with the baby. It was a little trickier for her to come join us as fast as she probably would have preferred to, being our second time around. Because if it was the first time, she'd have been like, oh, you have many, many, many hours, you know, but not in this scenario. She had planned to come to us just about as soon as we called, most likely. And we had talked with Kara, and we had actually talked with Yael, previous midwife, in the pregnancy about, like, should we have our two-year-old with us? Should we find someone to take care of him? Like, we've never done this before. What do we do? And uh, we got different insights. I remember that Kara specifically said, oh, you'd be surprised at how great kids are at this kind of thing. They just really roll with the punches and kind of really like take everything in stride and they really step up to the plate for whatever is needed in each moment. So I found a lot of confidence in that. But at the same time, we really wanted to have kind of a backup plan. So we did call when we realized we were in labor. And once I had woken you, we called some friends to see if they could help. And then we were going to be calling our doula as well. And our doula said, I wish you had called me sooner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think she realized we were more progressed than, yeah, we, that we weren't calling her at the very first sign of labor. Yeah. Uh, we're backup plan kind of people. We had a backup plan for calling friends in to help, calling neighbors in to help. We had done an emergency run of what do we need to do if we have to get to a hospital nearby. We thought through that. And we almost did a hospital tour of the backup, like farther away hospital that Kara likes to trans, prefers to transfer to in the event that you have to do that. 
Kara kind of was like, don't go there mentally, don't go there. But I just, it really depends on your personality. And for us, it gave us more peace of mind to prepare for those different scenarios. Right. (laughs) And then in the morning of, you know, nothing goes according to the plan the way you think it will. But the, the mere fact of having thought through these different contingencies, I think, helped us stay in a more positive frame of mind so that when I first made a call to a friend to see if someone could come over and, and look after Grayson and they weren't able to come over, no big deal. We're, we're, we're not in real, you know, we're not in the, the serious stretch yet. I'll keep an eye on things here. I'll try you back later. You know, in the back of my mind, I think I've still got the neighbors. If, if I have to call them, I can call them. I do think it's worthwhile if you're going to be giving birth at home to think through who's close by. <laughs> <laughs> Either who's close by or who's mm-hmm. always going to pick up the phone. Just because you, you don't know in the moment what you might need or particularly if you can't get a hold of your midwife right away or your midwife can't get to you right away. I mean, this is more important with the second child than with the first just because things can go so quickly. Is that fair? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What were you doing, Brian, in these couple of hours that you were awake for before the baby came? Well, I was trying to get the birth tub ready. We had already had it set up, but it wasn't filled with water. So I hooked the hose up to our little bathroom sink on our first floor Got that going. Well, hang on a second. So we had rented a mm-hmm. specific for labor tub, like a portable tub called an aqua doula from our midwife because I had envisioned this beautiful, peaceful water birth. That was kind of my vision for how I thought that I wanted this, our baby girl's birth to go, knowing that I might or might not be in the mood in the moment. But yeah, so that's the tub that Brian's referring to. Right. And just to back up, just a hair, I don't know if we said this, when we talked to Kara and she heard where you were with your contractions, she said, call me back in an hour at that point. So it was like almost nine o'clock. So so I, I was focused on trying to get the tub filled. Meanwhile, Grayson had woken up. I hadn't reached somebody who could come watch Grayson, but not a big deal. He was, quote unquote, helping me fill the tub. I was probably thinking about getting him something to eat, but didn't quite have time to get there yet. You had some cereal. You were on the first floor. We wanted to see if there was something we could do to distract you from contractions. So we put in a Gilmore Girls DVD (laughs) and the contractions started to come on pretty strong. You were not in the mood for Gilmore Girls. (laughs) So... At this point, because the contractions were taking so much of your focus, I was trying to focus on timing them. We had a sheet, right, where we were keeping track of the timing of the contractions. It's very short. (laughs) It's a very very brief list, yeah. And the contractions were a little tricky to time. So I was having a little trouble figuring exactly how to notate that. And I was, we, we had this digital stopwatch that didn't work very well. And then the clocks in different parts of the room were set differently. And I didn't have a watch because I don't wear a watch because how useful are those really? (laughs) So it was a lot of guesswork. And Oh, and can I just explain real quick as you're talking about timing contractions? I think I might not have been clear earlier when I said that because the frequency, which is from the beginning of one contraction to the beginning of the next, was erratic. It wasn't consistent. It was not textbook. Because of that, that made me think that we had a lot more time than we actually did in reality. What I meant by that was after my first experience of giving birth, I learned or was reminded of something that I had forgotten that when there's a sporadic, confusing frequency like that, it can sometimes be indicative of a baby being in a posterior position, meaning that the baby's back, their head is down, but their back is against the mom's back. And what that can mean is that the frequency, it just, I might've mentioned this in the first birth story, I don't remember, but it can make 
it can slow things down. It can make for slower progress because the angle of the baby's head, yes, I, I think I did talk about this, but just in case you didn't hear the first one, I'll say it. And for reinforcement, it can just mean that the baby's head is not as effective at dilating the cervix. And so it can just take a lot longer. And so that's what I thought, oh, great, we have another posterior baby on our hands because of this confusing frequency. So we must, I'm sure we're in for many, many hours of labor. So back to what you were, <laughs> ways that you were, things that you were doing. As I was trying to fill the tub, I called our doula, Ellen. I, I don't know if her phone was, I don't, anyway, I couldn't get through to her on her cell phone. So I called her home line, got a hold of her daughter, asked her daughter to let Ellen know, you know, that we needed to hear from her. Things were progressing. Then at some point in here, you moved from downstairs up to our bedroom and you wanted to lie down. I was trying to remember if, I wanted to lie down. Yeah, because I already was lying down when we talked to Kara the next time and she said lie down to slow things down. But yeah, I, I guess I don't know if it was this instinctive thing of like, I need to slow this down a little bit. Because it was just it felt like a train had hit me. I was like, it was it went from zero to 100, like, so fast. So it made it a lot harder to tolerate because there was it was not a gradual buildup like it tends to be in a first labor. Right. So an hour after we had talked to Kara, she called back. You were having the urge to push. She heard you vocalize through a couple of contractions or maybe just one. She told you to lie down, but you were already lying down. And she said, I'm on my way. Try not to have the baby until I get there. Uh, and later she told us she was like running red lights and like just waving to people who were cursing at her. <laughs> she was like breaking all the laws. She's like, I'm getting, gonna get to a woman having a baby. I'm a midwife. So the water's still running in the aquadula. So I go back downstairs to check on that, but it's becoming clear that uh, I can't keep checking on that. I think I just turned the water off because of the sounds that were coming out of you. <laughs> I was making <laughs> I very like, loud sounds. Yeah. I felt like I, I need to be closer to where you are. Grayson had been kind of coming back and forth with me. He had been going in to check on you from time to time. Not entirely clear of uh, the reason for these sounds that were coming out of you. Roaring sounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he he would say, that's silly. That was one of his phrases when, when he heard <laughs> you make some of these big sounds. And then at, at one point, he got a little too close to you during a contraction and the force of the sound scared him a little bit. He thought I was yelling at him, I think. I felt so bad. Yeah, I roared right in his face. And I think he, did he burst into tears? He, he cried a little bit. I felt, and then when, once that contraction was done, I was very quick to say, oh, sweetheart, come here. Let me hug you. I'm so sorry. Mommy's just working to get Ella out. Mm -hmm. It's not you at all. Please don't, don't think it is. And so that calmed him down. And then you asked me to kind of take him away. But before I could do that, another big contraction came on and he was scared again. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, you do what you can. And then the, after that second scare for him, after he was scared a second time and disappeared and we didn't, uh, uh, he, he, he went out of the room. Then you started having the... Urge to push. Yeah. And into my brain popped this story I had read. Our doula had given me... Not just a documentary to watch, but also uh, some old, um, I don't know if they were old. They were sort of classic in their tone and their photography or something. It's called The Complete Mother, complete spelled C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T. And I remembered reading a birth story in that in which a woman was in a similar situation to mine and she instinctively went to the bathroom to give birth. And I thought in that moment, my waters have not released, my waters have not broken or ruptured yet, and wouldn't that be nice to minimize the mess? And so I went very quickly to the bathroom, sat down on the toilet with this urge to push, and you were coming. I, I think I said, she's coming, she's coming, because I could feel that she was coming. So you came up to join me, but at the same time, right around the same time, you were making a call. Right. Uh, so you were in the bathroom. I got on my phone to call our doula. 
um, thinking at the very least, while our midwife is on the way here, if I can get our doula on the phone, our doula can, you know, be talking us through this as it happens on the phone. And she was in midwifery school to become a midwife at the time. But the number from which she had called me was not the number where she now was, something like that. I couldn't get through to her. Meanwhile, you're on the on the toilet, and you tell me that you feel the head. Ha, I thought it was the head. <laughs> and I couldn't tell whether you were really rolling with it or whether you were freaking out. So remembering something from uh, the birth partner book, uh, Penny Semkin, mm-hmm. I went into the bathroom, uh, got right face to face with you, and said, you can do this. You can do this. And you gave me this look that I couldn't quite tell. You were, it was either a look to say, you're right, I needed that. Or it was a look to say, you're so sweet, but I didn't need that. That wasn't helpful. I'm fine. Get out um, of my face. Get out of my face. <laughs> I don't remember. So I call Kara's pager. This is back in the days when people had pagers. I can't even remember what... So I guess I left a voicemail for Kara just saying something like, this is happening. Then I call our neighbor two doors down, Ed and Marilyn, our sweet neighbors. Marilyn was a retired nurse. Uh, I tell her, "Uh, hi, Marilyn, this is Brian. We're having a baby here at our house right now. And of course he said it just like that too. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Nice and calm. Nice and calm. Casual, no big deal. And uh, there's a lot of repressing uh, uh, going on. Um, And, you know, and I say we could use another set of hands. uh, Might you be able to come over to help us? Meanwhile, your phone rings in the bedroom while I'm on the phone with Marilyn. I am starting to go to the bedroom to answer your phone. And I hear you say, my water broke. And that was what I was feeling that I thought was the head. It was actually the bag of water is bulging. So Marilyn said, Marilyn asked me if anybody was on their way to help. I said, yes. Uh, I said, our our doula and midwife are headed here. They're just not here yet. Marilyn said, I'll be over there soon. After the next contraction, you said you felt the head. Again, only this time it really was the head. (laughs) You go. You go from here. Well, and so you were kneeling right in front of the toilet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And as she, I, I was having this urge to push, and I, as as she started to emerge, I I stood up and and I just had my hands to there to catch her, and and Brian, your hands mm-hmm. came right below mine to so that we had all four hands on deck catching our baby girl, and she pretty quickly, you know, being our second time to give birth and being in an upright position as well, mm-hmm. she came out quite quickly and being a couple weeks early too she was on the you know smaller end of the spectrum in terms of size which also meant that it was that much easier for her Mm -hmm. to come out she slid right out she was very wet very purple she was crying right away at some point in here we become aware that grayson is standing in the hallway looking on so we we ease ella have we said her name yet yes we okay so we ease ella onto lisa's lap and then you lift her up to your chest, and we tell Grayson, it's our baby. It's baby Ella. <laughs> to, to try to change the expression on his face, which was very confused. Yeah. He's like, what is that thing? And so a big smile spreads across his face. I just wanted to interject real quick something that I was reminded of in reviewing the journal, that when Ellen came for a prenatal... He thought that the baby was coming that day. So when she left the prenatal visit and there was no baby Ella, he was really mad. He was really disappointed and upset. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. You know, just like, that's a two-year-old, almost three-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember, what are, your, what are your thoughts of that moment of, here she is, we caught her. <laughs> well, the moment of her coming out was simultaneously exhilarating and terrifying and it was such a relief once she was out and she immediately cried and because it was it was kind of cold in that bathroom and it was also bright it was really bright so I would have cried too coming out into that cold and bright environment but it was a relief I was glad that she 
gave out a good cry, given we didn't have a clinical care provider there, although she did come almost immediately after that, right? We were kind of like, what do we do now? And, and, and I just started heading toward the bathtub because I thought, okay, I'm just going to park myself there with the baby. Right. So we're standing there looking at each other for a moment. Later on, we figure out that this is, we're going to say 10.34 a.m., almost two hours exactly after you had woken me up, that we had caught our baby girl. And less than five hours from the first strong contraction. Right. Like from the first time I thought, oh, we're, I think we're in labor. Yeah. So there's this moment of, this is incredible, now what? And you uh, start to head to the bathtub. I I say, can you do that? Are you okay? Are you, you sure you're all right to, and you say, I'm fine. There's a knock at the door or the doorbell rings. I go downstairs. I think it's Marilyn because I figure our neighbor has has just arrived. I open the door. It's Kara. And I say, we have a baby. And she steps in and I point her upstairs. And do you remember her coming into the room? Do you remember when you realized that she was there? I don't really because I was in baby land. (laughs) Yeah. So, So by the time... Kara came upstairs. You were already in the bathtub with Ella on your chest. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, I wish I'd thought to get a blanket or a towel to put on her because, because, like I said, it was chilly in that bathroom. And of course, she had me as a warmer, but she also could have used a nice layer on her other side. Well, but, you know, and and um, Kara reminded she she's like, oh, we got to get a towel on her. I'm going to go. She warmed him up in the oven. Several right. towels up in the oven which was nice and warmed her up. As I was saying earlier, you know, we're backup plan people, but this was not our backup plan. And (laughs) if we had thought that we were going to have the baby in the bathroom, we probably would have set the bathroom up a little differently. We would have, you know, had the the warm towels or or different lighting or something. Um, I should have known when I read that birth story in The Complete Mother, something in me was like, that sounds like a cool way to go. <laughs> so my body and my baby just decided, let's do that. <laughs> well, and in Grayson's birth, the doctor told you, I am not going to deliver this baby <laughs> on the toilet. That's and something right. in you said, I am going to deliver this baby on a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think that that might be the case because it's just a very instinctive place to go. Whenever I teach birth classes, I talk about that a lot. The fact that sitting on a toilet, especially in the pushing stage, but honestly, at any point it feels right to you, can feel so incredibly instinctive, less uncomfortable. When you're in the pushing stage, so much of the muscle coordination that is required to effectively push a baby out is the same kind of muscular coordination that's required of pooping. And that's where your body knows how to do that so it just uh it just makes sense and yeah plus it's also nice for the bag of waters to break into the toilet Mm. and not make a big mess so that was pretty ideal kara showed up maybe i mean within a couple minutes we think we think so of the birth and then about a minute after kara showed up our neighbor marilyn showed up Because she was just, maybe you said this earlier, she was just getting out of the shower when you called her and she had to get dried off and dressed and stuff. So Right. No, I hadn't mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. So she she couldn't get over to us quite as quickly as as we thought we were looking for. (laughs) Right. So Kara was upstairs attending to you. I brought Marilyn upstairs. Marilyn said hello to you, met Ella, met Kara asked if you needed anything, asked if if everybody was okay, if anybody needed anything. Uh, Kara really had things under control, and you felt good, and so we said, thank you, we're all right, thanks so much for coming, bye. And so Marilyn went out, and I started calling people to let them know that Gabriella had made her appearance. Kara was doing so many things. Probably a lot of the stuff she was doing I don't even know about, but one of the things that I found so interesting, and I've use this trick ever since is putting anything with blood on it in hydrogen peroxide that is like this miracle worker it just completely removes it and uh, that was one of the things she was doing laundry for us she was just really taking good care of us so we think that you were in the bathtub with ella on your chest for maybe an hour almost an hour and a half hour 20 something like that yeah boy was my tailbone (laughs) sore after that i should have like put something underneath me instead of that just that hard surface she nursed soon after, uh, mm-hmm. 
soon after coming for out. For a good long hour yeah. or so. And we were so glad that Kara arrived no later than she did because of uh, the placenta delivery. We knew that Brian was not going to want to have to deal with that. Not if a you listen to, <laughs> If no. you listen to the first story, you'll hear a little bit about that. We were, yeah, we were very thankful for that. And thankfully, the amount that I bled was less than normal, less than average. So nothing concerning there at all. And we waited for the cord to stop pulsating before Brian cut it as we had hoped to do. And then we ate. You guys made some eggs and toast and brought that up to me. It was such a relief to have Kara, you know, really looking after you. Grace and I went downstairs. I made some breakfast. I made some scrambled eggs and toast. And so everybody was able to eat a little something. I made enough for Kara. and, And that was a lovely moment just to enjoy this bit of breakfast immediately post-birth in our home. We enjoy our post-birth breakfasts, don't we? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I feel a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> While you were eating, Kara weighed and measured Ella. And, and I love the scale that they have. It's like a little stork bag where they're mm. just holding it in midair and the little baby is in this little stork bag. It's so cute. We have a picture of it that we'll put on the show notes page. And then she helped you get cleaned up a little bit and get dressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was hard because I was like trying to tell her what, what I wanted to wear and where to, and she just sort of had to pick whatever she could find, uh, you know, and especially when you've just given birth, you don't know what's going to fit. And <laughs> it was a little tricky, but she did it. She was great. And then she helped you come downstairs mm-hmm. and then she examined you. Yeah, she just put some Chuck's pads, the waterproof pads on our couch and did an exam and said I had a a little tear but nothing big and she said it's so minor that you know I I can stitch it up if you want but I don't have to so she just again she like gave me the option whereas in a hospital usually they just do whatever they deem appropriate and I just really appreciated that Um, although I was a little confused I I was like I don't know how to make this decision so it was a little tricky it's good to have options but also can be tricky to know which to choose but ultimately I said nah let's just leave it alone but she said it's going to be really important if you don't get stitches to really lay low for the next couple of days do not do any stairs she said you have to stay on one floor for the next two days to allow that healing to begin optimally so I did that thankfully in that house we we were living in Forest Hills at the time out in Queens and Thankfully, we had a bathroom on the main floor. Otherwise, it would have been trickier to not do any stairs. Kara didn't have any of the paperwork with her because she had had to rush through Manhattan traffic to get to us directly from another birth. But she brought the paperwork at her three-day visit. And before she left, she took a family picture of us on our couch. And looking at the picture, Grayson looks quite unhappy. And now you might think that it's because he's not thrilled with his baby sister. But actually, he was unhappy because he knew that Kara was leaving and he had enjoyed having her around. She was so good with him. He was a little upset that she was going to be going for the day. And it was so lovely to have given birth at home and to not have to go anywhere. To not have to transfer in labor was golden to get somewhere And then equally, if not more golden, was not having to be woken up by strangers, having, you know, nurses and doctors coming in and out and visit the, you know, the person you're sharing a room with often in New York City hospitals, coming in and out all through the night, not having to worry about transportation, getting home and so many logistics. It was amazing to just be home it was like night and day, amazingly different and wonderful. And then to have our midwife coming for a few postpartum visits, there's another big difference in care is that with an OB in a vaginal birth, they send you home from the hospital and they say, bye, see you in six weeks. You know, and if it's a C-section, it's going to be more like three weeks, but still it's that's several weeks. Whereas a midwife is coming to you Sometimes the day after the birth, sometimes three days after the birth, and then it varies among midwives, but they're going to be doing much sooner, much more thorough, consistent 
early postpartum care, which I think is so important. It's one of many ways that we're just not in our standard medical system, not taking good care of moms and why we have some of the worst outcomes in the developed nations of the world. So to experience that difference was just really magical. And also, this is true for many people, when it's not your first time to give birth, when it's your second or your third or whatever, you just tend to bounce back a lot faster. So I was Mm -hmm. so grateful. And that's such a thing of grace, because you have another little one, at least one that you're caring for already. And so it's amazing to be able to bounce back more quickly. I remember that that recovery felt at least three times as quick, if Mm -hmm. not more so. Later that afternoon, our pastor's wife came over to our house, having received the news that Ella had arrived, and she cooked us a meal in our kitchen, uh, which was a beautiful gift. And if you have ever received a meal from someone in a time of sickness or a time of where, where you just needed another set of hands, you know what a beautiful gift that is, what a big help that is. And it can be an opportunity to just sit and catch up with someone in a moment where it's good to have some company. We really appreciated receiving meals from our church. Uh, Our church at the time had a a meals ministry. They had a schedule where people would sign up to bring meals to uh, those who needed them. That's something that we continue to participate in today in our current church. Lisa organizes that for other people. And I would encourage you to participate in that kind of thing, you know, through some kind of group that you're a part of wherever possible. Um, Yeah, if you have family or friends or a faith community who can support you in that way, there are great websites that allow you to do that. Takethemameal.com is what I use. They're free. You just set up a web page for the recipient and you can highly customize the dates and you can put all the dietary instructions in there. And that is the top thing I always recommend requesting. And it's the best time in your life to ask for help. You just need help. We're not meant to do this alone. And the meals are golden, beyond golden. And you can also feel free to say to people, thank you so much for bringing a meal. We can't visit, but we're going to enjoy this food. Thank you so much. You know, (laughs) it's fine. People get it. They're happy to help. And if you need some time and if they need to go on their way, that's cool. This is a this is a time where you can ask for that and expect them to willingly grant you that. Mm-hmm. And just they're going to be happy to to contribute in any way that they can. A lot of people I talk to who decide to give birth at home have a lot of concerned friends and family and we had I think we just had one. I think most of our family kept their thoughts to themselves unless you protected me from certain things. But we did have one friend who is a physician's assistant and has worked in ERs and, you know, emergency situations a lot and has seen a lot of scary things. So she expressed to us that she was really, really, really scared that we had chosen to give birth at home. And it was hard to know how to respond to that in a loving way and you know, show appreciation for her concern, but not change our minds, you know, (laughs) because we were quite confident. It was a very thoughtful decision. It wasn't a rash decision at all. It took months for us to change our minds about where we were giving birth. Right. And it wasn't just based on an abstract principle. This was a decision that was only made after we had, particularly you, had done a lot of research, uh, looking at the information and talking through our specific situation with care providers we trusted and coming to a decision about what was going to be best for you and for our baby. Right. So all that to say that, especially if you do choose to give birth at home, you may want to be cautious, proceed with caution in who you share that with, just knowing that you may get a lot of judgment and a lot of scared people and a lot of people trying to change your mind. A lot or just one, in our case, thankfully. But that's a very common thing that I hear from people who've chosen to give birth at home is sometimes there are family or friends who are very, very against it and are very scared and really usually not with any evidence-based reason. You know, it's just a very emotional reaction because our culture is so set around the medicalized form of birth. So... I just wanted to mention that. Do you remember how you felt about 
my changing views on where we should give birth and with whom we should give birth? I don't. I mean, I remembered vividly the story that our birthing class teacher had told us of her catching her own baby in her home, which when I heard the story, I thought was bonkers. But, (laughs) you know, that along with everything that I learned after that about the birthing process and about how people, you know, around the world give birth and how that compares to our typical view of of birth here in the United States. All of that, plus, you know, my trust in in you, and I knew that this was not uh, something that you were taking lightly, and this was not something that you were going to enter into without really thinking through it, that uh, allowed me to be excited about it. I feel really fortunate to have a partner who was so supportive of that because it's not always the case. You know, sometimes couples clash on this topic. And I think it's really important when you're making a choice to give birth in a setting that's not traditional, it's really important to be on the same page as much as you can, you know, but I feel like the involved parties need to be on board with it. Mm-hmm. as much as possible. And I think that some midwives might not even work with someone who, if they're both not on board with it because it's just setting things up to not go very well if there's any stress or strife right. over that decision. And as the decision was made and as we were approaching the due date, we kept an open line of communication about what are we both going to need in order to feel as prepared as we can be you know, how much planning do we need to have in place? How many how many people do we need to be able to call on so that we both felt good about what we were getting into? One of the things that our midwife Kara said after the birth was that she really thought that somewhere in my psyche that I just wanted this to be a family-only affair and... I don't know if that's true or not. I I was like, no, it's not. I I don't know that I said that to her, but I was thinking, I I don't think so. (laughs) Like, I'm not sure I had that confidence level. Or, you know, I wasn't a doula yet. I wasn't a, and even if I was a doula, a doula is not a clinical expert. Um, But I just thought that was a funny observation thought that she had. If we were to have another home birth, Would you do anything differently this time? I haven't thought about that at all since we decided we were done after two. Mm -hmm. And our third baby, so to speak, is our adopted dog. Well, I mean, I would hire a home birth midwife from the (laughs) get-go. That's not really what you were asking. But wow, I would have loved to have that care through the whole pregnancy. That would Mm -hmm. have been amazing. And... I probably would call somebody earlier. But mm. the, the thing is, I have no regrets because I love our story. Mm. You know, I absolutely love our story. Tell them about the gift from your work. Within about a week of Ella's birth, we received a package in the mail, a gift, and it was from my workplace, which was a nonprofit called Hope for New York. And we unwrapped it. And it was this sweet little pink catcher's mitt. And they had written on it Ella's name, her birth date, birth time, birth weight, all of those things. And then it said, safe at home. And the card was addressed to the best catcher. So that's our birth story, our second birth story. You did it. (laughs) You did it too. (laughs) I was there. One other thing I might throw in is one or both of you, uh, either the the mother or the partner, try to write down these details soon after they happen. Because looking back over this, there are many details that I had just completely forgotten and or changed in my mind. Mm-hmm. And it's great to be able to look back. Lisa journaled this and I made a few notes here and there at the time. And you saved some emails that you had sent around this time. And that's a, a great way to uh, to look back and be reacquainted with these smaller moments that otherwise would get lost in the stream of time. Definitely. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? I think that does it. 
Thanks for coming on the show again, Mr. Brian Taylor. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I feel right at home here. (laughs) In our bedroom where we're (laughs) recording this. (laughs) All right, signing off. So there's our second crazy birth story, or bonkers, as Brian put it. For the first time, expectant parents out there, please remember this was not a first birth, but a second one, which just tends to progress more quickly and unpredictably. I want to be sure to give our doula, Ellen Farhi, props and all the credit for the fact that we ended up giving birth at home. I will be forever grateful for the education, support, and encouragement she provided both in our first pregnancy and labor and then in our second pregnancy. In our next episode, and oh the irony of my having just told you this story wasn't indicative of a first labor, you're going to hear another kind of crazy story in which one of my birth class students' first labor starts when her water breaks during a class meditation exercise on my classroom floor, and she meets her baby only five hours later. So be sure to tune in next week. Here's a sneak preview while we were laying there and I was very relaxed and I was, you know, enjoying the soothing music you put on and just feeling very, very comfortable. I felt a very, very, uh, what felt like the strongest kick that I had had up until that point. And then as soon as that passed, I just felt a warm flood. Thank you so much for listening to the Birth Matters Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to shoot us an email to podcast at birthmattersnyc.com. And as always, please subscribe, like, and review this podcast wherever you're listening. See you next time, and remember, you are stronger than you likely think, and you got this.